0: That's the other thing that like might not be in here. Especially as licensed contractors, the employees that you have likely are going to need safety training or specific job training, depending on where you're plugging them in. So that's a cost which doesn't even go into salaries, right? And typically, this should be something that the employer covers, right? Okay, we're going to do these webinars and everyone has to do them. Or we're doing an in-person uh, safety class or CPR. Or there's so many different certifications that are out there as it relates to the trade world. I'll say that's one that sometimes I see missing. When you're trying to assume what the employee cost would look like,
1: you're listening to "Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now" with your host Jackie Coke, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now. I'm Jackie, your host, and today we are talking to a fractional CFO. I always love talking to CFOs. I swear. I don't always love working with them, but I love the ones I get to talk to on the show and the ones that are doing fractional, to be honest. They bring such a wealth of knowledge and finance and team building are so related and you are in for a treat. Today, I talk to Lauren Furtado, and Lauren is a fractional CFO who is labeled as not your typical CPA. She spent 18 years in public accounting, serving multi-billion dollar Fortune 100 companies, but in the aftermath of loss, she rebuilt her life as a widowed single mother of two by starting her own fractional CFO services firm, grounded in her faith and family values. And we talk a little, you get to hear a little bit more about why she started her business, who she aims to support. And honestly, it's a lot of you listeners to the show. We dig into a lot of different things, but primarily how to, what things to think about when you have a trade business and how to think about cash forecasting and budgeting and common mistakes that folks in the, with trade businesses often make. We also talk about how to look at your cash flow to know when you're ready to hire and what things to think about and the costs that go into making hires, and then how to maximize them, how to coach your team members. And she gives some brilliant advice for how she coaches and develops her team. And honestly, it is incredible advice for anybody who has a team or will eventually have a team. So I'm so excited that you get to listen into our conversation. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being so flexible on us rescheduling. It was a a crazy week for me last week with Ozzy having surgery and all of that stuff. And I'm so grateful that you were able to come on and we were able to find time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm honored to be here. And honestly, when it comes to prioritizing your family, which the dogs are part of, there's absolutely no apologies that need to be made.
1: That Actually, I don't even know if I've recorded an episode about this, but Long and short of it, my dog had to have second round of complete stomach surgery. He swallowed a corn on the cob. He's on the mend, but listeners, don't let your dogs list, eat corn on the cob. I don't know where he got it, but watch them at barbecues. That's my PSA. <laughs> so, Lauren, I am excited to dive in. I and I say that truthfully, a lot of times people when they talk to an accounting or finance professional are a little bit nervous to dive in or I guess it's maybe similar when they have to come talk to HR. It's like begr- begrudgingly. They're like, okay, I got to go talk to finance and HR. I love jamming out with finance folks because you are always my counterparts for so many things in business because there's so much overlap. I'm so super excited to dive into stuff today. But before we jump in, can you share with listeners a little bit about your background and yeah, your background and your career thus far?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I am an accountant by trade. I am a CPA and I took the traditional route after college from an accounting perspective. I worked for a big four firm for 18 years, which typically isn't the tenure people usually turn after the manager level, but I made it all the way through director. And to be honest, I was really doing an evaluation of where I could provide more impact. And I see that in the context of after analyzing financial statements and numbers of huge multi-billion-dollar corporations, how can I bring this skill set to small business owners, people who truly have some skin in the game and create impacts based on my skill set? I know you talk a lot about finding your passion, and honestly, I think debits and credits are hard to feel truly passionate about. But I think having that skill set and being able to bring it to an audience where it just has a lot more impact set me on a path to create my own fractional CFO services firm.
1: Amazing. Yeah. It's same with me, right? Like a lot of the stuff that I do isn't and of itself isn't that exciting. But when you get to partner with a small business owner and a CEO and help them navigate a hard time, help them feel more empowered in decision-making and like ultimately the stuff that you and I provide is the backbone of businesses. So being able to make an impact makes it so rewarding. And also coming from a corporate background you learn a lot of what not to do, right? You learn a lot of what to do, but surprisingly, you learn a lot of you learn about what not to do as well. And it's so fun to be able to distill that down. Anyways, so how long have you been doing fractional consulting, and what type of fo- businesses do you work with the most?
0: Yeah, so primarily focused on the construction trades, so blue collar businesses across the trades. But I'll say for me as well, I do have clients in other industries. And really focus on value alignment. I think that is something that sometimes gets lost, right? You can have a client that may look ideal from the outside looking in, but I think it's truly connecting with the CEO and making sure that you're aligned from a a values perspective in terms of really how they're making decisions in their business. And I think especially as it relates to people, it's so important, right? How you're treating employees, how you're making hiring decisions, and really, again, what the true values are that your company has a foundation of. Yeah.
1: What made you decide to double down on the construction and trade space?
0: Yeah. So candidly, I am a widow. I lost my husband a little over two years ago and he was an electrician by trade. So I come from a blue collar family through and I am just passionate after seeing years of hard work that he put into his career. And I really think that those men and women that work in the construction trades truly are the backbone of this country. That. We're always going to need plumbers, electricians, construction workers out there fixing the roads. And it's so admirable to me to see the amount of passion and hard work that these men and women (laughs) put into their jobs on a daily basis. And it's truly, again, we're passionate to provide impact because I do think there are some issues with kind of the finance side as it relates to these businesses as well. Overrunning jobs, maintaining costs in just making sure that you've got the right balance and can manage your cash flows appropriately.
1: Yeah, wow, I did not know that. Thank you for sharing that and what a way to like live on with legacy for sure to support and give back. Thank you for sharing that. In terms of you you started to talk to you started you mentioned a couple of things, but when you start to work with A new client, or I'm assuming you have friends who are like, hey, can you take a look at my books? Or what should I do? What are some of the things that stand out as like the easy misses or things that people maybe do wrong when they do have more of a trade hourly type of a a business?
0: Yeah. So, one of the biggest things spending time on from an onboarding point of view is job costing, it's really understanding how they estimate jobs. I think that's piece number one, Two is how they account for overruns. So making sure they have the right systems and processes in place to do that and that they're still making a profit. I think the difficulty is if you are not investing the time upfront to do that appropriately, you are going to end up losing money really quickly. So it's really delving into and asking a ton of questions about how they do it in terms of giving initial quotes and estimates and really the pricing on their revenue.
1: Yeah. So one thing that I do a lot with clients is, and and a lot of the clients I work with one-on-one are more of like the digital jobs, right? And one of the mistakes that I see them make is they don't track time. So they don't actually know how long it takes to do something. Is it easier to do that in this type of a business than a digital business or no? And what tips do you have for people to truly understand how long a job takes?
0: Yeah. So I think it's the answer is yes and no, right? Because you can have a hybrid structure of how you compensate employees. I would say some can be hourly, right? But some are going to be salaried. I think the catch typically with trades is the cost of overtime looks a little different than like regular time, right? So even if you have someone Um, that works the standard 40-hour week, you can be paying time and a half or double time potentially if you're asking people to to work overtime. And I think it's also a balance with Making sure you're not overworking your guys too, right? I think you need to be careful about, yes, the cost, but making sure that you're not putting yourself in a position where you've got safety issues because you've got people that aren't sleeping enough, right? That you're making sure that you're staffing it appropriately in terms of even just how many guys that you need. So I think it's really taking into consideration and being conservative with what you think the overruns could be and how you're structuring, how you're staffing the specific jobs.
1: Yeah. I didn't even think about the safety. I know about the safety component, but I slipped my mind in the in, until you, you mentioned it, but you're right. There's also a really interesting book. I've mentioned it on the show a couple of times. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called Good Job Strategy, and it's geared more to like retail workers, but it's like how you can provide really great jobs for for people who typically work like on a pro, like a, a shift work or something like that. I feel like it could also segue over into this industry too. That's a whole nother topic, but just something I thought of as we were talking through all that stuff. So I guess a question I would have, and I imagine listeners might have as well, is most people start in a trade because they're good at a thing, or they get out of school and they're like, I'm going to do this trade independently as myself or go work for somebody and then go off on their own. But they're usually, I imagine, start solo. And then all of a sudden they're like, shit, I'm, I'm doing the boss too much work. <laughs> I, yeah, shit, I'm the boss or <laughs> shit, I'm doing too much work. I need to I need help. Let's talk through a little bit on how you from a finance perspective, because that's probably the most important piece in it here. When are they ready to hire somebody or What triggers, like any advice you have to listeners on how they can start knowing when to add people to their team?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think one, it's listening to your stress level. So it's more a mindset thing, right? Of like, how many hours am I working on this by myself? So just identifying that you truly have a need. But it, it honestly comes down to analyzing your cash flow. And when I say cash flow, that is a projection of your cash over a period of time and understanding, really, what are the inflows? So what income is coming in the door and what's going out, right? And being able to identify, I know you spend a lot of time on this, of what type of person do I need to hire, right? Is it, I just need a virtual assistant to help me with paperwork or, hey, I actually have so many jobs and I'm turning people down because I don't have guys to work them. So I think it's one identification of what that employee looks like but really looking at the financial impact of that. So I think it's twofold. One, identifying the expense that you're going to incur of having an employee on, and then also looking at the return on investment. And I think sometimes that piece is a bit missing. Okay, I actually had to turn down 10 customers this month because I didn't have enough guys. And if I hire this person and I bring that revenue in, and if we can handle it from a capacity standpoint, what is the upside on it too, right? So I think really understanding what potential your business can have as a result of having someone onboarded and in your business integrated in that position where you really have the need.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to take, the, I'm going to call it simple, way, the simple thing first, even though it's not simple, but there is like the just. Actual costs of onboarding somebody into the business, what things do you look at? Of course, there's like what you pay them, but are there other things that go into the total cost of, an, of employees in this in the trade space?
0: Yeah, so I think it's really evaluating what do you want to offer your employee? Is it just a contractor that you're going to give to 99 to, and you're just bringing them because you need like a specialist on something? On the job that's specific and in and out, that's one scenario, right? But if you're bringing in like a W-2 true employee, I think you really need to assess, one, the onboarding investment, right? Do they need training? That's the other thing that like might not be in here, especially as licensed contractors. The employees that you have likely are going to need safety training or specific job training, depending on where you're plugging them in. So that's a cost which doesn't even go into salaries, right? It is it, and to be, this should be something that the employer covers, right? Okay, we're going to do these webinars and everyone has to do them, or we're doing an in-person uh, safety class or CPR, or there's so many different certifications that are out there as it relates to the trade world. I'll say that's one that sometimes I see missing when you're trying to assume what the employee costs would look like.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. And then I didn't even think about that. And then there's also I guess in the trade world, are there certifications that have to be kept up every year? If you're an electrician, is it annual renewals of those things?
0: Yeah, I think it depends on the certification, the frequency on when you need to keep it updated for sure. Um, And each state typically has requirements. So it's usually by trade and by location that you really need to make sure as an employer that you're educated on what the requirements are so you don't fall short. Because if you come in and get audited on that stuff, you're going to be or if something goes wrong in the construction trades things go wrong, that it's just being prepared that you've done everything that you can to prevent job accidents or even just overruns and things like that.
1: Yeah, I didn't think about that. And then, of course, there's the payroll, the benefits, the all of those other things that go into play. But for sure, the ongoing training and onboarding training is definitely something that I would have not even thought to include. That is definitely important. Okay. So I guess that, again, goes back to my comment of, the easy, but actually not easy thing. So it's easy to ramble off what those are. I guess we'll put it that it's another thing to actually start to to think about it. But the second piece to that and something that I'm really excited to chat with you about, because I know you have a lot of experience coming from corporate in this is maximizing, maximizing the people that you hire. And, And what I mean by that is like, how do you develop and coach them and think about the revenue that they could be bringing back into the business as well. And so maybe I'm going to back into that question a little bit. Like, How do you coach clients or people through thinking about the additional revenue somebody could bring into the business? Let's start there before we talk about how to actually make that happen. Real quick, do you ever find yourself listening along to this and being like, "Well, oh, shit. I wonder if I'm doing everything right from a legal and compliance perspective. Now, I've said this a lot, but I'm not an attorney, so nothing I share is legal advice. But over the last 15 years, I've worked with a lot of employment attorneys on a lot of different things related to people in HR. So I've learned a thing or two about helping a business stay compliant with the people stuff and implement some of the best practices so you can cover your ass which is why I'm so excited about a free compliance and best practices checklist we've created over at my company, People Principles. It literally walks you step-by-step how to conduct an HR audit similar to what we do when we onboard new clients. So go grab your free copy over at peopleprinciples.co and you'll see it right there on the homepage. Now back to the show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think number one is starting with not even the employee. Let's start with your company goals. Let's talk about how they fit into those goals. And really, how do we envision those two things coming together? And quite honestly, sometimes the hire happens at, I don't know, a lower level because you're going to invest time building them into a responsibility where they might be a project manager someday, right? But if you need someone over the next, let's say three years to work their way up there, right? It's gonna inform your decision. And it really is about what type of team you're looking to structure and how that fits into the vision that you have for your business. If you are just looking to, again, meet that demand that you have clients in like a busy time, And then you don't have anything for people to do in the off season and you don't want to keep people on and you're fine with turnover every year. That's a different scenario. But if you truly are looking to build a team that is going to be part of your business, it is really understanding how to coach them up in a way that's meaningful, increasing their responsibilities and showing them the basics. I would say that is like one of the things I think sometimes gets lost whether or not you have experience in the trade or my clients with financials, I am going to start with why do we do this? Why is it important? Let's talk about the basics, right? So I think really just getting people ingrained in whether it's your business or it's me getting a client up to date. Let's talk about what the financials are, right? Let's talk yeah. about what's on your p l So I think it really is communication as well of what those goals are. It's getting people invested that is really helpful because it's you can give someone a to do list all day long and it it's pretty discouraging just having to execute against that. But if they understand the vision of the specific job or project or again, where you're heading from a business point of view as a CEO, they can be better invested in helping you get there.
1: Yeah, for sure. I also think accounting, like taking it a step into your career in a big four organization accounting is a role where when you start out it's very much to-do list driven like it's very tactical or at least it used to be uh, who knows what it'll be like with ai now but it used to be and so i do think your i would love to dig into how you've helped develop and coach people who are in some task driven into bigger roles like how did you do that because i think a lot of that stuff is so relatable to a trade, like a a business, a listener to the show that maybe does have trade workers or hourly workforces or entry level people that they're hiring. Would love to dig into to things that you've learned along your way of coaching people.
0: Yeah, I think I always try to remind myself that I want to be the type of mentor or coach to my staff that I always craved when I was a staff person. And I still ask questions. I still ask for coaching. There's times where it's just making sure that there's an open door in the lines of communication are there. Because I I was, as you were talking, I was thinking back to my very first year and it was fresh out of college. I had no experience with anything. So, yes, it was Lauren, you got to get the lunch order out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then you got these other tasks you have to do. But I think it is really focusing on. Understanding that question is stupid and making sure people understand that you're approachable, that like finances and accounting, even though folks in my industry typically come with education, right? usually have a degree, might have a professional license that you hold. In real life, it is very hard to connect the dots. You're not like, oh, let me think of my intermediate accounting class when we were learning about business combinations. You're like, what is this? Like, I've never done a client meeting. I have no idea. You
1: get that ominous email that doesn't clearly, it's not written like your textbook was. So yeah. you're like, y- yes, sorry. Yeah, I'm your just, mind is
0: blown. Like, <laughs> yeah, your mind like, is blown.
1: Oh, this is, this is what they were, this is what they meant? Yeah, yeah. In. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um,
0: The other thing, so just the last five years of my career, I have worked with a team that has been overseas. Mm-hmm. And that concept that you introduced of, changing from being task-oriented and here are the instructions, here's a template to use, stay inside the lines of them, being able to develop into managers, senior managers, directors, a huge investment of that is them understanding why. And for me, the communication is about building personal relationship. I will tell you, Jackie, the amount of times I have said over the last five years, can you guys turn your cameras on? So they can see me and they can I can see their faces and ask about their children and just developing a relationship so they know. I'm not just asking you to do something for work. Like, I truly care about you as a professional and an employee and, like, building that relationship. And also having them come to meetings where they might not typically so they can see me in action, right? Having difficult conversations having things that when you get to a director, managing director level, that you need an action. I can't tell you how many times over my career as a staff person, a manager or senior manager just grabbed me and said, Lauren, do you wanna to come to this meeting? You can take notes, you don't have to necessarily say anything. And it was just like me sitting in the room with a corporate CFO with the senior manager and they're talking through something tough. So being able to observe that stuff was so helpful in terms of framing how I now handle situations So a lot of times I'll let them come to meetings I wouldn't typically invite them to. And then after debrief with them, ask them what did they observe and what did they take away from it? And would they be comfortable at some point in time leading meetings like that? So I think it's exemplifying and exposing them to things that are outside of their direct tasks that is so helpful.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes. And setting them up ahead of time of, hey, I want you to come to this meeting. Here's why or this is what I, I want you to pay attention to or something like that. Maybe you don't have to do that for every single meeting, but sometimes at least like letting them know so that they're not like, oh my God, why am I in this meeting? Am I just the note taker? Letting them know it there's a purpose for it. And in this world of remote work, it has to be so intentional now. Like even now for you, I know you've been working remote long before even COVID. And especially now that you have a team, you're working with the team overseas, like You're not just walking down the hall and seeing Sam and being like, oh, Sam should join this meeting. Come on, buddy. Like you have to be intentional about it. So like, how do you do that? You're busy. You're going through your day to day. You're like going through your own work. Do you have any tips on how you keep your team's development top of mind so that you don't all of a sudden go six months and realize you've done nothing to help them develop?
0: Yeah, I think it's having a very candid conversation upfront that it is their career and them to be empowered to ask for opportunities. For me, it is so much easier when I get a ping that says, Hey, Lauren, do you have any meetings this week that might be helpful for me to observe? Or, Hey, I know that you said you were having a meeting with this person. Can I come? Right. That I think has been a very helpful because yeah. to your point, you can get very busy, but it is having very candid upfront conversations like, listen, Here's the professional framework that you need to get to that next level for you to do that. Here are the certain behaviors that you should have. So be empowered to take ownership over that because I cannot, and I'm going to use quotes, babysit everyone and be thinking of everyone else when I am I'm still task-focused but I need to get this done. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just making sure that they feel that confidence to be able to approach me and say, hey, I'm looking for opportunities on X, Y, and Z. With that being said, I do have regular touch points. So every month, usually with my direct reports, it's having a conversation about how things have been going. What do you feel like you need more support on? And that's always an opportunity for them to air out, hey, I'm working with this other senior manager. I really would like to get involved in this. and I can have a conversation and say, hey, can you bring this person to more meetings? So I think it's just making sure to have conversations across the board too with, with people so they're doing it as well.
1: Love that. Yes. Everybody owns their own development. You're there to support as a manager, for sure. I love that framework. And I love that you've, you found a way to create a culture where people ask it. And I bet it's because you're like, yeah, sure, come along. Or my guess is you probably had to nudge them the first couple of times. And then the first couple of times they saw how valuable it was and they were like drinking, from, drinking the Kool-Aid at that point.
0: Yeah. And I think for me personally, I am very transparent. I am from the Northeast. I'm very direct. So I think sometimes just culturally, there is a big gap between maybe how they run meetings and how they observe me. So they are very interested to see how the conversations go candidly because they're not necessarily used to it in terms of the things that I bring up and how I say things. So I hope that they can take something away from it. But I think also just appreciating the experience I've had. There is a gigantic gap sometimes between the years that I have done and the staff that I have that directly report to me that might be brand new to public accounting and they might be brand new to the firm. So I think it's just me being mindful of that and making sure that, again, they understand the why.
1: So then a question I have is after. So the debrief after is the most important piece of that. Do you schedule that or do they schedule that?
0: I usually just say, hey, guys, can you stay on? after the other parties are going to draw, And I'll say it's usually the 15 minutes after that we just block off as a regular practice just to make sure that we can communicate and talk about what the takeaways are.
1: Wow, that sounds really simple.
0: I think it's also giving them something to do with it too, right? So it's okay. We came out of the meeting. Let me give you an action item. Okay, yeah, you got to observe me, but now I want you involved in it.
1: I'm thinking of, of listeners who maybe don't have virtual meetings or I'm going back to the trades and I'm thinking specifically my cousin's husband is is an HVAC. He doesn't own the company, but we talk a lot about how he should at some point own a company. But I would imagine a way to coach them would be like, hey, do you want to come to the sales meeting or do you want to come? Like, what? I wonder what things you could invite your team with to develop them. Do you have any ideas that come to mind as as I ask that question?
0: Yeah, I think it's Probably upfront sales discussions, yes. Yeah. But even getting them involved in like the planning process before you even get to meetings, right? It might be with the job costing we were talking about earlier. Okay, here's how we jo- like do the job costing. Is there anything from your experience working on these jobs that I haven't incorporated? Asking them for feedback on the process, I think, is a helpful and a good opportunity because I'll say a fresh set of eyes. Sometimes at the lower level is exactly what I need. So I'd imagine that it would be helpful there too. But I do think regardless of virtual or not, I've heard many times like even just having a morning meeting before everybody goes and executes on their work. So just having a level set on where are we with the job, communicating the goals. And so everybody hears it at every level, not just the project managers. And maybe they're leading the meeting, but it's everybody being on board and aligned with what the goals are and how that translates what they're doing, I think is probably an even more integral piece of how they meet.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm just so reminded of my time working at Lululemon and it was like beaten into me. It's very dramatic. (laughs) It wasn't. But one of the core, one of the core tenets of the culture was like, you explain why and explaining why related back to one of our core values of generosity and so being generous with your time, with your knowledge, with, and explaining why was a huge component to that. And I feel like now I irritate people at times because I explain why so much, but then I see them come back and make a decision because they knew why. And I was like, oh maybe no one why I helped you, huh? And they're like, yes. And they like it so irritated. But I don't know. It just it's reminding me of that and making me giggle a little bit. I don't know if you ran into that situation at all. But,
0: but. yeah, I think it's true. Right. I think sometimes people are just like, all right, another meeting. What else? What do we Why do we talk about this, Lauren? Why do we need the 15 minute debrief? We, we went to the meeting. Can't we just be on with our day? But I think they truly do start to appreciate. And especially as they start to coach others, right? When you start to see the shift of someone being a coach, the importance of the explaining the why.
1: A hundred percent. That's hilarious. Okay. So as we're we're starting to wrap up, there was one thing that we didn't get around to talking about, but I want to make sure we mention on the show. And that you have this awesome tool to help Plug into a financial model, I'm going to call it that, that you can definitely share if it's something different, the co- overall cost of hiring somebody so that you can start to forecast whether or not your business is ready to do that. Did I explain that accurately or can you share with listeners what that is? Because I know it can be so helpful for them.
0: Yeah, you're going to be a fractional CFO in no time, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I had mentioned looking at your cash flows, looking at your projection on when you think you may need to hire someone. I have a template which we use with clients, multi seven-figure clients that I know it seems like a simple document, but it is available on my website if you download it. And there is a tab in there that considers headcount. It is all formula driven. There is nothing you need to do besides plug in what the salary is. There is an assumption for all the fun things payroll tax related. And you need to put in the dates of when they would be hired, and it will go directly into the other tab of what shows your cash flows. So if you want to hire someone in the next six months, you put that date in and you're hoping they're going to stay even for eternity, right? That you can see the impact on your numbers. If you've got your revenue plugged in, you can, again, see the exact impact on your cash balance at the end of the day.
1: Amazing. So I imagine the tool is useful for a million other things besides that, but it's a tool... It is a cash flow planning tool that also in, incorporates headcount cuz I and ha- headcount planning which is huge. So if you're listening and you're like okay I got to start taking my finances seriously, definitely head over there and get that. Lauren, I feel like we're definitely going to have more things to jam out about as we get to know each other even better, but I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. I'm sure I know for a fact that you've taught me stuff and I sh- I know for a fact that listeners especially because I know listeners to the show do have businesses similar to what you work with learned a bunch thanks so much for coming on the show where can how can listeners follow what you're up to and, and learn more from you is there any anywhere we can direct them
0: yeah maybe we can put uh, my website in the show notes i think that's yeah. the best place that, to well. go to to get in touch with me i've got a contact form and i'd love to be able to help
1: great listeners thank you so much um, for tuning in and go check out lauren's website We hope you're feeling inspired and ready to take things up a notch in your business. And just wanted to remind you that if you want access to the tools, strategies, and guidance you need, our on-demand HR program might be perfect for you. Say goodbye to corporate HR rules because hello, that's not how I roll here if you've listened to a few episodes. And say hello to straightforward, actionable advice designed just for your small business and actually for you individually, because you get unlimited email and DM access to our team, including me. It's like having your own HR consultant on speed dial. So don't wait. Take your small business to the next level with our on-demand program at peopleprinciples.co forward slash on-demand. We're here to support you every step of the way of building and leading and managing your team. Thanks for being a part of our community and we'll see you in the next episode.